This is Ringtones. Welcome to episode three, or if you prefer, part two of episode two, season two, of the All Boxing No Bullshit podcast. I am your host and welterweight who shall not be named, Jason Langendorf. How are you? Glad to have you back. Uh, We're here bringing you the second half of our conversation with the great Pete Croato, freelance writer, author of the new book, from Hang Time to Prime Time, Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day NBA. If you didn't catch part one, uh, be sure to go back and give it a listen. You don't have to do that right now. Don't worry about the order or anything like that. Um, Pete and I just kind of chopped it up and went on for a while about hoops and writing and boxing and whatever else came up. Um, so you can safely finish this. Go back, listen to part one later. It's no big deal. Um, But we did knock out all the formalities in part one, so I'm not going to delay this any further. Let's go ahead and get right into it and pick up the conversation with Pete Croato. You mentioned in the book, there's a, there's an anecdote near, you, you talked about Salem and everybody loved those shirts. I, I I had one of those shirts, a Magic Johnson shirt. It, I broke my collarbone and they had to cut it off of me. And I was, I was like, oh "Oh my God. Um, But between that, uh, uh, Sean Kemp mentioned the the posters. Remember the yeah. posters back in the day, Rain Man, you know, and, and Bar- Barkley, I think you had, it was followed up with something like, you know, you didn't make the poster cool. The poster made you cool. Yeah, and so that's, right. that's how I think of like the Sports Illustrated cover. It's like, that's, that's how you knew how you made it. It's like, it's like being on, you know, if you were a comic back in the 80s, you know, you, did you, did you make it to Carson's couch, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's the good house. It's the good housekeeping seal approval or rather (laughs) it's that seal that you've made it. I mean, in talking to Rick Welts about the slam dunk contest, I mean, they, he, he told me that he knew the dunk contest was a big deal when it got four pages in sports illustrated. It Mm -hmm. didn't even make the cover. I mean, it got four, four page coverage, which was unheard of at the time. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, it's amazing you know, uh, it, it's, it's funny, this, this might've been something that was overlooked in the book, but you know, you could have, I could have written by 150 pages of the value of old media of paper media and just, yeah. and just what it meant to, you know, what, what those, what those newspaper, what, you know, what a Peter Vesey column meant. I, mean, I mentioned a Peter Vesey column or, you know, getting, um, you know, g- getting profile by, by Jack McCallum for sports, for sports illustrated. I mean, that, those were, we're such a, we're permanently on camera now. We're permanently publicized now with Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. Instagram. We're all famous. Yeah. So there's really no, so Sports Illustrated now, it doesn't, it, it, it's, it's almost a who cares situation. It's like, oh, Sports Illustrated, well, I have, you know, I, have, I, have all, I have 10 million followers on Instagram. I don't, you know, I need to circulate with, with, you know, X hundred thousand of people. Who cares? It, it's, things really have changed. I mean, and I hate to over, I hate to use this phrase, but it really was a simpler time back then. And it was, it was a time where if you were a newspaper man or newspaper woman, that was a, that meant something like you, you were, you were on the, you were, you were in a a, a real position to break news and get color and get, and be on the team bus and be on the plane. And now it's, I mean, I can't even imagine being a beat reporter in 2020 for, for any of any sports team. It's gotta be awful. I, I enjoy the fact that now there's been this kind of democratization of media and, mm-hmm. and everyone who wants to can have a say on the internet, um, yeah. social media, it's all that. That's great. 
mm-hmm. but it also then it, it creates so much noise that it's hard to know what's worth paying attention to. And yeah, it's just, it's led to this fragmentation that I, I think it, it's harder for us to kind of make sense of the world. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I'm sorry to, who's talking about to, I started to Russ Bankston about this um, a little while ago, the great writer who, you know, was an editor chief at slam and comp did stuff at complex. And he was talking about, you know, how he was sort of like in the late nineties, he was sort of like the last part of that good time of being a, you know, an NBA reporter where like you could get to know the players you yeah. could, you know, like he got to know like Allen Iverson, you know, Ryan Jones, who's an editor at slam, you know, he, he, you know, he got to talk to Kobe Bryant, uh, Kobe Bryant knew him pretty well. Like they, they, you know, he had his phone number. It's, but it's funny that now that, the NBA is so big and has a platform to promote itself with cable and, and uh, you know, again, league pass and Twitter and Instagram and all these applica- all these social media apps. And you have so many people that are, as you said, like they're covering the league in their own way, whether they have a podcast about it or they're blogging about it or whatever the role of a, of a, the role of a journalist and, an NBA player, it's, it is not the, it doesn't have the same intimacy that it once had. I mean, I, I could be wrong. I mean, there might be somebody listening to it. It says, Oh, you know, my, my friend's a reporter for the, you know, for the Warriors. He knows, you know, Steph really well. Okay, great. But I, I don't, I cannot see that kind of rapport happening today. I just think it's, the players are too much in demand. The sport is too taxing. It's a full-time job now. I just, I just don't think that ability to, to, to get that, to develop that rapport is there. Um, maybe I'm wrong, but, but Russ is saying that, and I agree with him on this, like the guys that really are popular now as journalists, and I don't know if you agree with me on this or not, Jason, but the folks that are, that are make their bones as journalists are either the folks that break trades like Woj and Shams, right? Or they're super into the X's and O's, like a Zach Lowe, you know, where they can just break down how these plays happen and, and, and get a perspective that no one else can. The, the day, I don't know about the days of Peter Vesey or Bob Ryan. I don't know if, if I don't know if, if there's going to be another one of those shoe leather write you know write great stories on deadline, you know master of beat um, uh, role models. I don't, I don't know if they're I don't know if they're I don't know if they're long for this world. No, it just it it just doesn't get done that way anymore. And I mean it's it's become a little bit of a cliche, but you, you know it used to be in the old days the the sports writers and the, the athletes made roughly the same amount of money and they'd go yeah. out to the same bars and they'd try and, you know, hit, hit on the same women. And there was a whole, like, you know, they were pals for a reason. And that was also the time when by and large, a lot of the rest of the world didn't give a shit about those athletes. It was kind right, of like, exactly. you yeah. know, they, they were just like everybody else as far as the rest of the world was concerned. Now that whole structure is something different. And, you know the the PR machine. The there's just there's just the the league, at leagues I should say they they have too much to lose, and the players themselves have nothing more to gain. Just like you said with whether it's Kareem, whether it's yeah Magic, whether Steph, whoever. And a matter of fact, the, the active players now have more to lose than anyone, just because of merchandise, all all the ways that that they make money and, and how their image is connected to their mm-hmm. earning power. And it, it just, it doesn't make sense for them to reveal much about themselves. Certainly not to anybody that can't give them something back in return, which is 
very, very few folks now in the media. No, absolutely. There's no, there's no value in having, again, if, if, I, if I'm working for a paper with 50,000 circulation and, you know, I'm covering an NBA team, why the hell would anyone, anybody want to talk to me if they have, you know, a million followers on Twitter <laughs> or, you know, uh, two million followers on Instagram? Like right. it, it, it was, and you're absolutely right. It, immensely back in the day when if you're a Harvey Ayrton and you're writing for the, you know, one of the, you know, writing for the post, I guess. And, you know, and you're, and you're making roughly the same amount as Bill Cartwright. Like, yeah, there's an equal, there, you're on, you're on steady ground. Like you're right. flying the, you're flying the same shitty coach flight. Like you're right. staying in the same hotel. You're, you know, you're in the same social spheres. Now, I don't even think the most popular television journalist is in the same sphere as the most popular NBA athlete. I'm trying to think like, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, especially other, like if you try and think of someone who isn't an ex-athlete. Yeah. I mean, the only one that comes to mind now is, is maybe Rachel Nichols. Okay. But I mean, but, but I don't know. I mean, because she, yeah, but, you know, again, she's, she's a part, you know, ESPN's a partner with the NBA. So there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. And, you know, she, I mean, this, this is no knock against Rachel. She's great at what she does and I'm a fan, but yeah, I mean, I think she's probably the, maybe Simmons too, maybe Bill Simmons is the same. Yeah. I mean, I think he's probably, those are probably the two people I can think of who probably have that, like that same, they're on equal footing, you know, where. Yeah, and, and Simmons is almost like a brand, you know, where. Oh, it, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Beyond even that. And, and so I, I can see where there might be a certain appeal as an athlete. Like there's somebody that maybe you grew up reading, or at least you knew who they were. You saw them on, on, uh, on TV once in a while, you, the, the podcast, but even that, uh, you know, you, you mentioned how Sports Illustrated used to be, you know, it's, it's hard to, for people from a certain age yeah. to kind of conceptualize that. But it's, I think of ESPN that way now too. Like ESPN is, I mean, I worked there. Yeah. It was a monolith. Sure. And, Huge. and it was everything. And we, while I was there, even, you know, I mean, I, I was mostly worked in, uh, in, in boxing, but which was kind of a small player compared to the NFL or, yeah. or the other big sports, but he kind of called the shots. Like it was like, look, if there was such brand recognition and, and such a, you know, athletes were so dazzled by the idea of oh, sports center and, you know, yes, they had commercials. There's a whole, like there was a real connection there. Even mm-hmm. that today, I don't think because of social media, I really think it just doesn't resonate like it used to. No. I think, I, I think that leads to, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to stray too far into, you know, what, what was us, but like, <laughs> it, it does get harder. It gets harder to, you know, to access the people to, that you need to, um, to do the job. No, it absolutely does. I mean, and I, again, I mean, with Rachel Nichols, yeah, I mean, she's behind, she is, she is with ESPN. I think they are, they are one and they're one and the same. So, so an athlete is going to be very, is going to be seduced by ESPN. And that's because that's a giant, giant, it's not only a giant reach, but it's also take, take the place of, it, I think it's also taken the place of the local paper, you know, yeah. like when you grew up, like I read the sports section for the Asbury Park Crests and the New York Times. And I think for a lot of players, you know, they grew up on Sports Center and they grew right. up on, you know, part of the interruption and, and whatnot, you know, but ESPN, it, it's, but even Sports Center now is not what it used to be. Because yep. again, like, you know, all the scores and the highlights you know, you see them as soon as they happen. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, the other person too, I thought, I thought of just now probably has that same sway of like, you know, if, if, if he wants to talk to you, you'll talk to him. It's probably Stephen A. I think. Yeah. Probably, you know. Yeah. That's a good call. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they're just so, so few and far between. Um, yeah. those. But they're all brands. Like they're all, right. like they're all, as you said, like Simmons is definitely a brand, um, which is weird because I remember reading him like when he first started ESPN.com and it was, you know, he's writing about, you know, summer catch. Um, <laughs> and you know, now, now he's interviewing, you know, Kevin Durant and right. He's got like Brian Koppelman on his podcast. Yeah, he's got Koppelman talk. It's crazy. Um, and you know, and Stephen A is just, you know, and again, like it's, it's, it's so funny now, you know, it used to be like, there was one, you, you thought of ESPN before the personalities. And now you think of the personalities for ESPN. And even when Simmons was at ESPN, he was one of those personalities. You right. know, he was, you know, he was, uh, he was the sports guy. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's just the 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 whole structure has changed so much, and it's it's funny. I mean, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. I mean, yeah. I was only half joking, but like the idea of explaining, well, what do you do? What do you like? How 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 does it work? I think people have a an idea in mind of of what say a, a sports writer does mm-hmm. that was pretty consistent for decades. Yeah, and you know, you talk about how now you know being a beat writer. I mean imagine being a baseball beat writer imagine being you know having a game basically every day to cover Ugh. and you've got a you've got a gamer you've got a sidebar you've got a notes call you've got you got a tweet you've got just all these responsibilities that never used to come with the job more more expectations uh you know pe- people trying to people trying to do more with less and yeah it's not like these people are making a lot more money than they used to. So it's it's just, everybody's just trying to hang on and, and do the best they can with what's in front of them. And, Mm -hmm. and I, I get that a lot of the times where I'll talk to people and they're like, ah, such and such paper. It's not the same. It's not the same as it used to be. It's not, well, no shit. It's not the same. There's like, are you, are you paying more money for your newspaper? No, you're paying less. Are you taking out classifieds in that newspaper? No, you're not. Yeah it hasn't been the same. It hasn't been the same in 20 years. And anybody who says it hasn't been the, yeah, I don't get that. People say, Oh, it hasn't been the same. Well, yeah, it has been the same since like 2000. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, I, and again, like I, I graduated in 2000 and um, my first job was at a Gannett paper in central Jersey. So it was right around when, when the dot com was starting to take off and the paper was absolutely unprepared for it absolutely completely utterly unprepared for it as we're almost everyone <laughs> yeah everyone so like you know it, so yeah it, it's and they haven't recovered since then and they're you know and they're they're building they're they're, ma- they're they're making beds in a burning house at this point it's but yeah you're right i mean not only you know it was a and that's one reason why i didn't want to go into sports writing originally or become a full-time sports writer because i because what you just mentioned you know the the the, the gamer the sidebar you you have a sunday column or a sunday feature it's gruel. Like being an MLB beat writer, even before the tweeting and the videos and oh, Instagram, yeah. was grueling. Just and, the travel. Yeah, and the travel's crazy. It's it's you know you're, it's spring training. It's regular season. It's postseason. It, it just it, it there was a, I read a I'm, you know, we're going way off topic here, but there was a I never you ever read the book, the worst team money could buy. 
what was what was that one about? I feel like oh, I, I, think I know it's, of it's, it. I don't think I read it. About the '92 or '93 New York Mets, the Mets, like with ben, the the Mets of Bobby Bonilla. Okay, and, okay, and, yeah, yeah. I I haven't read it, but I I'm aware of it. Yeah, it's a it's a really good book. It's it's Bob Klapsich who wrote for the Bergen Record yeah. for years, covered the Mets, and I think um, who's the other guy? I think it's John Harper. Uh, they're both beat writers for the New York for the New Jersey New York City papers. So they wrote this book about the team. And those were about their jobs um, covering the team. And I think I was 21 or 22 when I read that book. And that book did more to dissuade me from working in a sports department for a newspaper than anything else I could have read. <laughs> it was tra- because again, they talk about their, their jobs and it's, it's what, what you said. It's just, oh yeah, I had to write, you know, I had to write the gamer and then go down to the locker room and my day ended at two in the morning. And then I'm up at, you know, 10 a.m. for batting practice. And it's, it just sounded like the most monotonous, um, thankless job. And I, again, it, it gave me a newfound appreciation for anyone who, anybody who covers a beat, a sports, a, a, who covers a sports team well. It's, it's, such a, it's such a grueling job, especially yeah. now when you have to do everything else that's associated with, like a, with a web producer or a video uh, producer. Yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just gotten harder and harder. So we, you, you mentioned boxing a little bit earlier and bring, yeah. kind of bring it back to, to, to the NBA and boxing. Sure. In the, in the book, you, uh, you mentioned the date, September 30th, 1975. Kay Koplovitz, the founder of USA yeah. Network, she uh, said uh, it was the night that changed the course of television history. It was Ali Frazier, the thrill in Manila. It was uh, yep. live on HBO. Mm-hmm. What was the significance of that for the NBA? Well, for the NBA, I mean, that, that sort of opened the door for getting their games on cable. And Kay, you know, I think you mentioned this just now, she's the founder of USA Network. They were the, you know, Kay was very much into sports. And she started to build USA Network as a sports network. You know, she wanted to, you know, that, that, catching that fight and seeing what it did and seeing the power of live sports that galvanized her to turn USA into pretty much a sports network. Um, ESPN before ESPN, as Hubie Brown uh, told me. So mm-hmm. that, was, that was tremendously significant. And, you know, she, she was great because she saw, she saw that people would want sports and it's something that they, could, that they could provide relatively cheaply and that it was going to be all year round if they, got, if, they got all, if they got most of the major sports. So she got baseball, she got basketball. And, you know, and she, she ran with it. So for the NBA to, ha- to get a cable contract was huge because CBS at the time was barely pa- paying them any mind. You know, they were, you know, they were, they weren't giving the games any special treatment. And here was a, here was a situation where the NBA could call the shots. They could get USA network to air all the teams, like even like the Kansas city Kings versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Like, they get, yeah, we, that's, you know, we, 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 we can call the shots, but it also, I think it had to have provided David Stern, who was the architect of those deals with, you know, an education, with an education on how television worked, how the games were put together. And, you know, it also allowed him to start the mantra of, you know what, we're going to focus on the players. I mean, he would have, he would hold these weekly meetings with, with the uh, broadcasting teams and the production guys and, you know, every week it would be like, you know, let's, you know, don't just show the game, like show us a star player, show us this angle. Like, you know, yeah. Okay. So the Celtics are playing, you know, are playing the Clippers. Okay. Well, the Clippers stink, but the, the but the Celtics have John Havlicek focus on him. 
So I, I think the NBA, so with USA, not only did that give the NBA a platform that it desperately needed in a, in a nascent industry, but I think it also allowed David Stern the opportunity to kind of hone his philosophy. And I would like to think learn about the television industry because he was always, he was always, he always had both eyes open and both ears ready to listen. So I'm sure. That was the thing that struck me most yeah. about from reading, from reading your book and then just the little bit that I absorbed, I think, over time, the idea of how this guy with supreme confidence who could, who could walk into any, mm -hmm. uh, any boardroom and, and own the room and, mm -hmm. and would spar with, with the most powerful <laughs> people yeah. in, in the business, yeah. but had the humility to say, look, I, I don't know it all, I, I'm, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm, I'm yeah. going to see what other people are doing, see what's working. And, and then project it out and see what, see how we can make it work for us. And that's a good lesson for, for any, I think if you, if you're in any line of business is just to be able to say, you know what, I, I don't explain this to me in, pl in plain English, you know? Yeah. Okay. You know, the jargon, you, you clearly know this, this subject, but I don't know this, explain it to me. Yeah. And I, you know, I talked to people you know, who worked with, who worked with David Stern and worked for him and, and that's what he, he never stopped learning. He, he wanted to know, I mean, he, he wanted, in talking to NBA employees, they, they all told me the same thing. Like, David wanted you to be prepared. He wanted you to have an answer. But, but if you didn't know the answer, it was okay. You could say, I don't know this. Let me get the answer for you, and I'll, and I'll come back to you with it. So he was all about, he was all about knowledge. He was, whether it was, it was gaining knowledge or using that knowledge to better the NBA, to use it to good use. And to me, I mean, I think that's just an invaluable lesson for anything, you know, any, any line of work to, to never be afraid to say, you know, what, I don't know this, you know, tell me what, what, tell me what, what, how do I, you know, ask questions, pay attention. It's, it's, but you're right. He was, he was an interesting guy because he had this dichotomy. He was so confident and he was so, so aggressive, but he was also somebody who was a lifelong student. And those, you don't usually don't see those two things work hand in hand. We, uh, we talked a little bit, Thrilla and Manila. Yes. Something I find interesting, I've been talking to people about this a little bit lately, is how many NBA players are big fight fans? I know. Really? I see. Yeah, I, I, Damian Lillard is a, is a big one. He's, he's probably the most prominent, but uh, huh. Bradley Beal. There, there are quite a few guys who, who tweet about it um, and who, uh, I mean, I'm not an Instagram guy, but, but it, it pops up from time to time. Sure, um, sure. There seems to be a, a real following. I don't know. Is that something that's something that's news to you, or you know, it is. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, I, it's I don't follow a lot of NBA players on Twitter. I should follow Dame because he's pretty funny. But yeah, he's good. Yeah, but you know, I, you know, I don't. You know, that's a that's I I'm not sure why that connection is. Why do you think that? Why do you think that is? I honestly don't know. I I I do think this may be a little ham-handed. Um, yeah. But I, I think there's something to be said for you know. Number one, you know, it's the old what game respects game, like athletes. Yeah, um, sure. When you're, let's say you're an NBA player and you're in the game, you know, you can appreciate what other guys do, but it's like, okay, yeah, you know, I, I do that too. Or, you know, I got a teammate who can do that. Yeah. Um, I think when you see somebody do something else at a kind of world-class level, that's athletic, that's impressive, that you can sort of, you may have almost a uniquely a unique perspective on how difficult it might be yeah pull off 
Um, and there's a respect for, particularly for boxers, the shape that they have to get themselves into. Sure. Make, making sure. weight, um, the, the physical punishment. There, there's, I think there's a lot that goes into it. But I think also um, some of it's just cultural. I think it's a very uh, popular sport in the uh, Hispanic and African-American yeah. communities. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's definitely something there, um, especially the further you go back. It's just, it's people who are, you know, more working class, blue collar. Some of it is we've just gotten away from it as a, as a larger population in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there are pockets um, that still are, are pretty fervent about it. And it just, I, I, I get into this all the time with my buddies who are in the business and they're like, yeah. what are you doing covering boxing? Nobody cares about boxing. Well, no, believe it or not, it's a global sport. If you look at the guys who are regularly on, you know, Forbes, uh, highest paid athletes. It's, you know, it's Mayweather, it's Pacquiao. It's, and I mean, that, not that that's necessarily the end all be all, but there is a market for this. Um, unfortunately, boxing just spends most of his time tripping over its own dick, trying to, trying yeah. to find some rel- relevance, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I think, I do think there's, there's probably a lot of pieces that go into that. I just, I have found more and more um, of those guys popping up in my timeline and um, I just I find it interesting. I don't know that, no, that is that there. that's really interesting. I mean, I think there's 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 something to be said for you know the common ground of money. You know, these guys yeah. are both sort of in the you have you know all these guys are kind of in the same circles, and you know, and also if you if you come from the same kind of um, social background, you know, same town, same kind of city. Right. There's that there's that there's that bond. I was thinking too. I mean, isn't it maybe you can you you, you can advise me on this, but it also strikes me that it would also strikes me that being at a boxing match, if you're a basketball player, it might be more of a low key hang than if you were to go to another sporting event. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it just seems like you know, from the boxing matches that I've seen, it's a little bit more intimate, a little bit more. It's not as it's not a it's like the Super Bowl where you're going to be assailed with movers and shakers and hangers on. I don't know. It, it, yeah, I, I, I think there's something to that. I think they're probably it's in some ways it's probably easier for guys to slip in and out a little bit. Um, yeah. They're, they're also, you know, depending on the, the significance of the fight, you're there with celebrities, you know, it's Denzel yeah. and, and, you know, back in the day, Bruce Willis. And I mean, I mean, even in Chicago here, um, I've been to the fights and John Cusack shows up all the time. Oh, really? Um, that's like, that's our big Chicago celebrity, at the fights. But, <laughs> which, which is great. I mean, he's awesome. I've, I've actually, I, I, my big hope was to get him onto the podcast. Cause I think that would just be super interesting. Oh yeah. Boxing with him. But, um, yeah, now he'd be, but, he'd be great. Yeah. I, I, I just think it's, it's one of those sports that just, it just tickles certain people's fancy. And, and I do think it attracts also, I mean, Cusack is an example. Um, I think a lot of people like me anyway, remember him from back in the day when he was kind of playing these sort of, you know, parts where he's kind of half a loser, you know, mm-hmm, trying mm-hmm. to figure things out, whatever, which, you know, made him incredibly lovable. But, you know, I don't know if you remember gross point blank. Oh, of course I do. I love gross. Yeah. Point yeah. Great, great flick. So in there, you probably remember, you know, he's, He's a he's an assassin, and he actually has a scene with um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, you know, he's he's it's legit combat, 
and like yeah. and Comet, and he trains in this stuff. So yeah, he has a, like a, a maybe not a vested interest, but it's it, it's something he has experience with. And I, so I think there are a lot of people who, even if it's maybe not firsthand, um, there's there's some sort of connection there. Um, you know, you grow up in a family that you know watches the fights, things like that. Yeah. I think it's just, it, it winds up being a cultural thing. Um, but also it just, it just attracts, I, I think it just, it, it's like a, a, a tuning fork. It just, people are drawn to it. Oh, absolutely. For whatever reason that, that can't be completely explained either. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I look, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating sport. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, you have, it's, it's one-on-one and you're, it's just, it's you you it's just your hands and your reflexes. I mean, that's, and I think for, for, for athletes who are ultra competitive, you know, and, and just, and, and thrive on pressure and on excitement, boxing has to be, has to be just like, just really an aphrodisiac, you know, for that. It kind of, it kind of checks off all those boxes. So I can definitely, I, I can definitely see the, the appeal, I guess. I mean, but I guess the thing that I was thinking about when, when you invited me on here was I'm just curious, and I was thinking as to I was thinking as to why boxing doesn't have the appeal or doesn't have the popularity that that it used to have when I was a kid, and you had guys like Tyson and and Foreman, you know, Rick Bow, those guys. I, I just I'm trying to think. I was trying to think as to why why that is, why the why the why the why boxing isn't as popular as it once was, and and what could be done to get it back, but. Yeah, but I wasn't even I didn't even think about the NBA boxing connection. Yeah, it's it's tough because you know, you'll get you ask a hundred people that question, you'll you'll get a hundred different answers and, sure. and probably all of them are true. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's uh, the thing is is I think even back then, you know, Tyson, Bo, uh, Lennox Lewis, even at that point, people talked about boxing as if it was a dead sport. And yeah, true. to yeah. to a certain extent if if you're talking about um relativity you know to to the big four american pro sports it's it obviously is not what it was it certainly doesn't have the same sort of um main street cachet and resonance that it used to um i do think there's because it's there's a global audience there and because yeah. because it's also i just think it's something that's so it it's so easily understood there there doesn't you, you don't really need to know any rules to the game if that makes sense like it does it does my parent my parents actually who very do, visceral yeah my parents who know very little about sports in fact the joke well they, they they're better now um but the run the running joke is that when i was playing baseball they had to ask the 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 sporting goods store employee what hand the glove goes on um <laughs> My parents, they, they, they used to watch boxing a lot when they had pay-per-view. They would, they would watch, you know, like the heavyweight fights and they loved it. And they don't, they don't have any technical understanding of boxing. None. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I think it's something that you can easily connect with. Yeah, for it sure. Is, it is that, you know, the same, some of the same things that you talked about in the book and that are, that come up often about the NBA and its rise, you know, you can see the players, their, their yes. faces aren't covered by helmets. You can get these great up close action shots. You can see the expressions on their faces, whether they're smiling, whether they're talking trash, whatever. In in boxing, 
everything is heightened even that much more because there's a, there's a real danger. And I don't think these guys experience fear the same way like you and I do, but there, there are real repercussions that they're aware of. They're, they're never more than, you know, a, a, a flash away from being unconscious and, yeah. and, and maybe much worse. And it, I, that, that I think is the, the ultimate draw of the sport, but you know, going back to boxing, sort of, you know, shooting itself in the foot regularly. It's the fact that there's no central governing body. Uh, all of the people involved are very short-sighted. There's just a uh, this craven, you know, gun- gunning for for profit rather than nurturing the sport and and looking after the athletes. And I'll give you an example. Of what's what's going on right now? You heard of Terrence Crawford? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, so he's he is uh, in some people's minds he's he's the top fighter in the world. You know, pound mm-hmm. for pound. Some people get worked up about pound for pound, but bottom right. line, he's he's up there. He's he's top five, best fighter in the world right now. Um, because of promotional issues, he is not fighting the guys that that everyone who follows boxing and loves the sport would like to see him fight. No. Um, it's very territorial and it, it becomes a, a, a pissing match. So within the last few days, Crawford's promoter uh, has gone out publicly and, and sort of profanely said that he's not losing any more money on this guy and, and everybody's got it all wrong that he should be selling himself, but he doesn't care. And this and that it's so basically it, it would be like, um, let's say, uh, who am I thinking, you know, Steve Ballmer coming out and screaming that, that Kawhi Leonard should, should be, should be out there, you know, pounding the <laughs> pavement and, and telling everybody how great he is. And, and when it's, when it's, and this is a terrible analogy, but it's, it's the Clippers job to sell Kawhi, not, not Kawhi's job. Like yeah. Kawhi's job is to go out there and play, play basketball to the best of his ability. So this guy Crawford, and especially in boxing terms, the, the model uh, to deliver the fights to fans is so screwed up between pay-per-view and, and, and it's scattered across God knows how many channels and streaming services. And there's no central area to, to, to know, you know, where the fights are, when to find them, learn more about the fighters. It's just, everything is so scattershot that it's, it's difficult to be a fan. It's exhausting to be a fan and expensive. And so, so there are all these hurdles that are put in front of the fans that, um, you know, unfortunately, it's the onus is on you. If you if you want to follow the sport, you you better have the, the the guts for it. It just it does not. It's not like it used to be. Like when you talk about your parents, and even before your parents. I mean, I remember watching it uh, Saturday mornings, yeah, Saturday afternoons uh, on on the network television. You know, when I was a kid, I, after watching cartoons, you know, was yeah. an hour or two later, you got you got fighters beating the crap out of each other, and it's yeah. you don't you don't get that now. No, it's yeah, that's a really really good explanation. I, I the one thing I was thinking about again because I was um, I was thinking about the connections between boxing and the NBA, especially the early NBA of the well the eight the the era that the era that I'm writing about or wrote about. I was just curious. I mean, it does. Does boxing have a a Magic Johnson? I'm not talking about somebody who has like the 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 
the same kind of skill set, but somebody who is just a personality or somebody who is, you know, who can, who puts the sport in the best light, because I think that's what I think about boxers. When I think about the most popular boxers, the, the Muhammad Ali's, the, um, uh, the, the Sugar Ray Leonard's, uh, even the Mike Tyson's, they had personalities. They had, they, they, they were, they were larger than life. And I'm not sure if boxing has anyone like that. And to another extent, I'm not sure if there's a rivalry that people can follow through. I mean, you know, you know, Frazier Ali, or, you know, I mean, that's a good, you know, that's, that's, that's an easy example, but I, I don't know of any, of any rivalry that is, um, that cap that's capturing the, that has captured the public attention in recent years. Yeah. It's, I mean, to answer the first question, it's the, the only guy out there really right now that's, that's kind of capturing people's attention on a, on a broad scale um, with his personality is, is Tyson Fury. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. He'd be the guy he's, he's, you know, he's pretty charismatic. Um, mm-hmm. He's, he's definitely leans into the promotional aspects of, of the job, or, or at least what he sees as being his job and it's paid off for him. He's, he's done well. I mean, he's, he also continues to win. He's been in some good fights. Yeah. He's a heavyweight. A lot of these things work in his favor, but there are very few guys. And, and, and this leads to the second part of that. There are not very many guys who fight at the highest levels who fight other guys that are at their level mm-hmm. and do it more than once. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, there, there are, there are really good fighters who will fight other really good fighters. It doesn't happen as often as it used to, but f- very frequently there will be misses on rematches and trilogies and the sort of things that fight fans would love to see. We got a, a rematch. Uh, Canelo Alvarez fought uh, Gennady Golovkin twice. Okay. Um, Fury fought uh, Deontay Wilder a couple of times. Um, we get them once in a while. It, it just it doesn't happen enough, especially for the people, the uh, English-speaking American mainstream yeah. fan, casual fan to really lock into it because there's, you know, you'll have others, Roman Gonzalez. Um, uh, there, there's a nice, you know, you talked about Sugar Ray and, and you had back then you had Tommy Hearns and Marvin Hagler and, you know, Roberto Duran that, that even back in the day, that was relatively rare, but, but there were competitive fights routinely. Uh, there is some of that. You'll find it in pockets but Gonzalez, uh, Juan Francisco Estrada, like some of, some of these guys that are, that are in these, um, these great little, little mini rivalries and, and, you know, there may be three or four um, where it's almost kind of a round robin situation. They, they come from other countries. Um, they may not speak English. Yeah. They fight in the lower weights, which tend to, it's changing a little bit, but they tend to get less exposure and people tend to be less interested in them. They want to see the big guys beat the hell out of each other. And, and again, it comes down to oftentimes the, the promotional lines that get drawn and it, it just, there are just too many barriers. Um, unfortunately that, that oftentimes boxing puts in front of itself yeah. um, that keep best fights from being made and keep the public from connecting with the sport. And it's, you know, it's a shame. 
Yeah, I mean, because to me, what is what will, I think, help any sport is a narrative. So if you have two great fighters fight, fight off in a series of fights, I think everybody wins from that because it's, you, you, have a, you have a narrative. People love rivalries. And it's a shame that that, that, that doesn't really, that, that, that is, for the reasons you outlined so well, that doesn't happen these days. And I don't know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about you know, the times with the, the NBA of the 70s and 80s and, and, and boxing now. I mean, the two things that came to mind would be rivalries and storylines that people can get behind. Um, good guy, bad guy. I mean, it's simplistic, but it works. And stars. I mean, sp- folks that are just either supremely talented or just have a personality uh, that gets the average fan or even the non-fan interested. But you're right. It sounds like the it sounds like the the things that that are the things that are the obstacles that are in the way will prohibit those will prohibit those two possibilities from happening. You know if. But you know you have to get your home you have to get your own house in order before you can, you know, implement a game plan like that. So, I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting question. I, I it's it's a, it's a real it's a it's a real interesting it's a dile- it's a real dilemma. I, I because I mean I love boxing. I would love to I would love to watch it. But part of the problem is you, you you hit the nail on the head. How the hell do I watch it? Like, do I need to zone? Do I need to go on pay per view? I mean, ESPN they show sites, but they they don't seem to be from they seem to be from like lower tier competitions. It's, it, there needs to be an end. I think there needs to be an entry point for fans, casual fans like myself or fans or, or people that don't know that they're fans yet. And I, I think that's the big problem is there's no easy entry point. There's yeah. no, as, you know, there's no like, Oh, there's no, Oh, you know, at 12 o'clock, you know, ABC wild world of sports is going to show, you know, fights for two hours. There's nothing like that. So you have to, and you, you know, you have to, if you're searching for that, if you're a fan and you write about boxing and you're searching for that crap and you're, you're, you're working toward that, a casual fan is not going to put in that work. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you basically need to download, you know, four or five different apps. You're subscribing to God knows how many different services you you've got different uh, websites bookmarked to, to learn, you know, when, when the, where and when the fights are going to be airing. And, and even then, you know, you, especially right now with coronavirus, you know, guys, guys get sick at the last minute and, and yeah. the fight gets called off. And so the, there's just, there's so much that gets in the way. And, and it, I don't think I've ever been asked the question this straight, but I've asked, been asked some version of the question or if I'm a boxing, if I want to become a boxing fan or if I, if I'm interested like, where do I start? I, I don't know that I could tell somebody. I don't know that I, I have an answer where I can say, okay, we'll start here. I, yeah. I just don't know that it exists. Yeah. I mean, to me, the, the, what, what my exposure to boxing before the sport became so um, tangled that I, I, I wouldn't even know where to start if, if you gave me a map and, you know, a compass, you know, it's through, it's through, it's through books on boxing. You know, that's yeah. the thing about boxing. There's such a, a wonderful body of literature with, with boxing. I mean, I mentioned before, you know, David Remnick on, on Ali and, um, you know, AJ Liebling, Neutral Corners, great. That's an amazing collection. I mean, Joyce Carol Oates is, you know, put in her share. I'm, I'm staring at um, Jonathan Eags Ali, which I have to, um, I have to dig into again. It, it's, there's so many, I think there's so many great books about box. Oh, oh, Mark Cram. I mean, what, what's, um, yeah. 
am I, why am I blanking on the on on um on, on his Ali book, which was which which is phenomenal. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, I Manila. Off the top of my head. Yeah, beyond but there, you know there have been a hundred of you know based on Ali or or yeah. Ali part of it. Yeah, the uh, but Mailer's book, the fight. I mean, there, there's a there's such a a deep body of literature, and you know, I'm just it's that's that's where I know bo- I, the yeah. limited knowledge I have of boxing, as you can as you and your listeners can can surely tell, um, comes from you know reading those great books and and digging and digging into them. Um, I, I just wish there was a better opportunity. Again, I wish it was e- as easy as I turn on ESPN and the same way that I turn on ESPN and I know I'm going to watch the Celtics play um, the Knicks, I would love to be able to turn on my television and know that, okay, I'm going to turn on a fight and it's going to be a first-rate fight. Yeah. Well, or even just know, okay, uh, it's Thursday night at 9. Oh, crap, that's right. Uh, there's going to be a fight on. And it'll it'll be it's bound to be pretty good. Um, I know what channel to go to or what streaming service. Like I'm gonna go hit it up, and it where it becomes a destination television. And it's that just doesn't exist with boxing right now. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame too because again, you know, because there there is an audience for. It. I mean, if there's if there's an audience for for MMA, right? There it's not it's it, those are they're they're cut from the same cloth. There's got to be an audience. There's there's there has to be an audience for boxing. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I was just thinking about this as we're we're walking yeah. through it. I mm-hmm. you know I I was thinking you know boxing needs a David Stern and really absolutely really what what it needs and you know boxing fans won't like to hear this. What it really needs is the modern day David Stern, which is Dana White. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know I don't there's there's a lot to dislike about White, but what he has done has has been to centralize his sport um, and he's done it ruthlessly and he, and, and his fighters are often poorly compensated and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and have zero security because of it. However, the sport is thriving because of, of the approach there. There are ways that it is, it, it is either leveled off or, or dropped slightly. Uh, you know, some people say there there are too many events now, and the fights are getting watered down, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. That's that's all. There's there's truth in all that. But boxing, if there were a way to take a page from MMA, it would be to somehow centralize, you know, have a, a centralized body where all of the rules, regulations, uh, vetting of of fighters, like everything, down to you know. How, how the guy's gloves are taped, uh, you know, before they walk into the ring, what, whatever, all of it, um, a compensation structure, boxing would benefit from that immensely because then you could, you could have a lot of those um, landmarks, those, those things that, that become um, destinations for, for fans, whether it's what website do I go to to mm-hmm. find all the, the content and see the schedule and learn more about this fighter or that fighter. Uh, whether it's, you know, uh, the, the podcast I want to hear that's got, you know, they, they always have uh, the, a fighter on who's going to be fighting this upcoming weekend. I got to tune in and hear more about that. Whether it's knowing where to go to watch that fight and when it's going to happen and, and where it becomes a rhythm. And, yeah. and it's funny because I, I, I've heard people talk about this with the NBA too, how if I, if I remember correctly, FIBA has a, a regular schedule where I think they 
they play on like Sundays and Thursdays or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so in Europe, everybody always knows like that's, that's destination television. They always know when, like when those games are being played and, and rather than playing three or sometimes four nights a week, it's two, it's always two. And so the players are fresher. Yeah. The, the quality of the product is better. There is a, a higher demand or, or, or kind of thirst for it where you're, you're holding back a little bit on the product and mm-hmm. creating that demand. I, I don't know that that all applies to, to boxing, but I just, I think there's a way to structure sports and, and do it in a way, if you, you know, if you're trying to monetize it, if you're trying to build um, mm-hmm. a business out of it, there are enough, <laughs> there are enough other people who have done it and done it right. And the NBA is one of them where you, you, you can look to, uh, the examples that have been said and some of the blueprints and say, okay, well, yeah, this makes sense. Like, let's, let's try this. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, there's just, there's too many competing agendas in boxing. I don't know that it'll ever happen. Um, my, my hope is that it will eventually. Um, I don't know that it will be what's best for, for all the fighters. It's not a great racket for, for you to be in as it is right now, um, yeah. unless you're one of the top guys. So I'd like to see some kind of a change to see, you know, Hey, you can't, it can't get a whole lot worse. Right. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I, again, I mean, I, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing with the NBA, I mentioned this earlier was that it is, it has never been a stickler for tradition. You have to have someone, if, if boxing were to overhaul how it does business, it would need to have somebody who not only is an advocate, the biggest advocate for the sport who loves the sport, but also is going to be hell bent on turning things upside down. And that takes, that takes a long time to get there. Um, Yeah. The other thing that that came through in your book, and I think Mm -hmm. there was a quote. Yeah. Someone about Stern. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was mentioned. The sentiment was, was kind of driven home more than once. Stern loved the NBA, loved the product. Loved it. And, and I think, I don't know that that's the case for a lot of the, like the power brokers in boxing. I, I, I think a lot of these guys, it's just a, a means to an end. Or it's, or it's money, you know I mean? It's, yeah, it's, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's, you know, and that, and that's, you know, again, that's, that was the thing about David Stern that I think was just so, you know, again, I mean, I've, you know, I've said this a few times. I don't think I'd want to work for the man, but <laughs> you can't, you can't deny that he was so passionate about the game and what it could become. And, you know, and I don't, it's funny. I talked to people for the book. I don't remember anyone ever saying like anyone ever telling me, Oh yeah, David was all about the money. He only wanted to make the, I think if you paid David Stern a teacher's salary, um, he would have, he would have done, he would have done the job. Yeah. You know, the other thing too is with, with box, I just thought about this. Everyone has to, to, for there to be a change, everyone, everyone in on board has to realize that there's a problem and that there, and that the, that the only change is going to be uniform action where where everyone is going, everyone is go, everyone turns the ship around. If you don't, if, if that doesn't happen, then it's, it's, it's going to be, we're, we're going to be having the same conversation 15 years from now. And, you know, and, and the NBA did that with, um, but with the with the drug policy and the the collective bargaining agreement in '83, 
those were two times where both sides, players, management, and you know, players, you know, said like, yeah, we have to, we have to get on the same page here, or there's right. not going to be a sport. And I think, I think boxing needs that moment. They need, they need someone to say, someone to bring all this, all the parties together, and say, guys, look, this is not working. We are losing ground fast. We have to do something to, to not only at least present the uh, good optics that we're actually doing something, but that, but that, but that will buy us some time to get our house in order and get moving in another direction. I mean, you, you, that, I mean, that to me is, is, is the, it, what needs to happen. But from what you've told me, Jason, it doesn't, it sounds like you have a better chance of, of getting, of getting all the children in the world to sit, to hold hands and sing <laughs> than, than getting that to happen. So I don't know. From the perspective of, you know, you brought up the NBA and, and I think about baseball, you know, yeah, if you're the Knicks or you're the Yankees. The Yankees are a better example. Why would you want to share your revenues with the rest of the league? What 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 incentive do they have? Well, actually, they have a lot of incentive because without the Pittsburgh Pirates, without mm-hmm. Tampa Bay Devil Rays, like the Yankees are, are. You know, who are you going to play? Why are the Yankees so great? Because they had they had rivals that that were up to the task and, and they, they beat them and there was tension and there, you know, major league baseball doesn't exist. I've got it. I've got it backwards. The Yankees don't exist without major league baseball. Yeah. And and so they, those teams need each other. And in the same way that the NBA, those, you know, the, the Knicks, the Lakers, the the Celtics, they needed those other teams. Now, I mean, do they need everyone? Do they need the, the, the Vancouver Grizzlies? Do they need, okay. Yeah, there, there, there are certain nuances to it, but, but you have to have opponents. You have to have, and, and frankly, I think the thing they found was it, it does, you don't just want a bunch of Washington generals. You, you want a, a rich, active league where anything can happen. And that's why I think something like, you know, the, the Milwaukee Bucks, the fact that they've kind of risen again, and there are teams like, um, you know, the Heat maybe aren't the best example, but there are there are smaller or smallish market teams that are making it happen and are consistently, um, you know, making noise or at, at the very least, you know, whatever two out of every three years. Spurs, yeah. are, the Spurs are a great example, obviously. Yeah, the Spurs are a great example. I mean, Golden State, I think, yeah. maybe a case for them because they're they're you know they're not they're not in Los Angeles. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when when going to Los Angeles or or New York was like those are the two best options, because you know that was like the, those were the those are the biggest cities in the nation, and you had to that was your biggest platform. But now, the NBA is such a giant worldwide enterprise, and you have all again we going back to the what we talked about before with the media and the, and its lack of influence, you have all these you know you have all these ways to become a star no matter where you are so you know Giannis yeah, the world in- is much more interconnected now exactly so Giannis can stay in Milwaukee and be a super duper star I mean there's no you know there I mean if he, if he wants to go to New York hey god bless him you know good luck there but he can he can stay in Milwaukee and, and be be dominant there and be a, a major presence there it's but you're right I'll, I'll, you need te- you need teams. You need competition, and you know you, you just can't have 
you can't have like New York and Los Angeles and Boston being the, the biggest, the, the biggest, uh, the biggest threats. It's, it's not fun. It's not fun to have the same, the, you know, it's not, it's not, it's, it's fun to have challengers and challenges. I mean, and you know, again, you think about someone brought, who is bringing this point up, but like, if you look at the eighties, the NBA, I mean, yeah, I mean the, 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 the Celtics and the Lakers were the big stories. I mean, the big, the big winners that, that decade. And, and that's fine. But, Look how many competitive teams there were in that in yeah. that era. I mean, Dallas and and Philadelphia and Milwaukee. Uh, Houston was was great until you know Ralph Sampson you know landed on his back and that was the end of it. Um, you know the Sonics were good in the early '80s. Yeah. I mean, there, there were so many great teams, and you know, and I think the same thing. You know, the, it's you you need you do need that competition, and and and, it, and it, if it comes from other areas, that's great because it spreads it spreads the message. You know, it's you know, if you go from, you know, it, it's what's what if you're a television executive, what's the worst option if you have a, a if you have like a final or a, a a World Series that's like based on the like on one coast, like that's that's that spells doom. So you want to have you want to have a widespread uh, network of, of great teams. It, 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 a right, you know, to use an old phrase, an old cliche, a rising tide lifts all boats. So, right. yeah. Yeah, the, and that's where boxing gets gets in its own way because there are, there are all these sort of separate fiefdoms where promoters, you know, you might have you might have a few great fighters in the same uh, weight division, but you don't really want to have them fighting each other too much. You don't want to poach your own, you know, your own product essentially. So so there's that. Well, then there's the difficulty of crossing promotions. Okay. If, if I have a, a great fighter and you have a great fighter in that same uh, weight class and, mm-hmm. and everybody's clamoring for the fight, that sounds great. But like, I don't, I don't want to share the, the profits off of that. And, and of course I'm going to try to jockey to get the best deal for, for my guy and for me. And nobody wants to budge off of that. And everybody, there's, there's so much ego involved and there's so much um, jockeying involved and so little gets done <laughs> and, yeah. and and it what it what winds up happening is by and large the best fights don't get made or they don't get made when they should um and and honestly i think from the perspective of a fan if you're a, if you're a diehard fan there becomes a level of fatigue that comes with it where you know just to get some of these fights done mm-hmm. there's so much hype and bullshit and nonsense that surrounds the lead up to it you know will they won't they it's it's like a you know bad uh three's company episode or something it's like just <laughs> can we just like can we get the best guys fighting the best guys just like why is that so hard like everybody again like you said rising tide lifts all boats it, if if you put two of the best fighters in the world out there against each other more often than not they're not going to do so much damage to each other that they're, you know, irredeemable after that. Uh, more often than not, if you put those guys out there against each other, it's going to amplify their brand mm-hmm. and make somebody an even bigger star, whoever the winner is. Yeah. But, but, but boxing fans aren't stupid either. Like they understand if two great fighters fight and one guy's got to lose, well, that guy's still a great fighter. He just fought a guy who's even a little bit better. Yeah. And, and you can still, make those fights and put the the best foot forward for the sport 
and and it it trickles down. I mean, it really does. I think to the other fights, as long as you continue to put other competitive fights on, like not not everything's going to be Ali Frazier, but if you put two well mashed guys together, you can come up with some brilliant fights that are you know tiers below that. Yeah, um, and entertaining as hell. And yeah. I mean that should be the goal because that's what's going to make everybody the most amount of money over the long term, and it's gonna it's gonna be healthiest for the sport. But yeah, you know, no nobody ever uh, got rich, you know, betting on the the, the brains of people yeah. boxing. So no, I mean, I say that I say that with all respect to to there there are some great people in boxing who who clearly uh, care about the sport and mm-hmm. who have an idea what they're doing. But there there's just too many barriers in the way, too many people who don't have the sport's best interests at heart that are just out there trying to trying to, you know, smash and grab and, and it hurts the sport. Yeah. And the other thing too is, you know, you mentioned before about getting the two best fighters and just scheduling, you know, just scheduling those matches, scheduling those matches with who's around and who's best. The other thing too is that it generates interest. It generates conversation. And, you know, that's, that's what's going to get more people interested in this, in, interested in, in, in the fights. And if you schedule those fights, as you mentioned before about, um, was it um, FIFA, right? right. You schedule those fights on a certain day of the week or two days of the week. That's also going to generate, that's also going to generate conversation on Twitter and all the social, all the social media outposts. And that's going to make those, that's going to turn those, those fights into events. Right. Um, you know, it's, it seems, again, it seems very straightforward, but you know, but as you, as you mentioned, if you have financial interests in how things are done the way they are, they are now, there's no, there's no uh, incentive and there's no incentive to let go of that. Then you're going to keep doing the same. The, you're going to keep doing things the same way. And, and, and that's the key. There are enough people yeah. who are making money hand over fist who have control of their, their little corner of boxing. Mm-hmm. It, it's not in, as far as they're concerned, why would I lose my grip? on control of this little slice of boxing um, when, when I'm doing very well with it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Why, why would I bother? Like what, what difference does it make to me, the health of the sport? It's, it's pretty healthy from where I'm sitting. Exactly. But, exactly. but again, you have to, you, for that, for that, for that to change, there has to be a crisis. Yeah. Like a legitimate guys, the ship is, the ship isn't just sinking. We're, we're heading to the bottom. Like we need to do something. And if there's if there's if there if there isn't someone who's going to step up and say that and get others online others on board, then as I said, we're gonna you're you're gonna have the same conversations with the same people who are you know about the future of the sport and it's wobbly and it's this and it's that. But it's you know again it's it's you know going back to the book you know one of the things that David Stern hated was he hated hearing as an answer oh that's the way we've always done it. <laughs> and it seems to me that with boxing, there is a chronic case of that where it's just, well, I've always gotten this share and, oh, this is always how it's been done. And clearly it's, it's, it's not working. So it's, it's uh, that to like the nth degree yeah. because they're yeah. even, even the, the referees and the officials and the judges, so many of the people involved, you know, boxing, boxing Twitter is, um, Boxing Twitter is a pretty cynical place, uh, but it's, <laughs> I can't imagine. you know, 
everybody is, we're, we're always on about, you know, why is this person still getting paid to judge fights? Why is this person? Well, it's because there's a vested interest for somebody there. It, it may not be as, as cut and dry as they're, they're doing someone's bidding, but it's, it's pretty damn close. And so it, unfortunately, it, I, I think you're right. I, I don't know if it'll be a Dana White figure. I don't know if it'll be a, a fighter. You know, I, I think somebody like Mayweather, mm. uh, if he had the will, he has uh, sort of the, the, the personality. He's done well as a, as a promoter um, of his own fights. He's mm-hmm. onto something there. Um, and he, he, there is a certain brilliance to what he does. I just don't think he's got that in him. I don't, I don't think he cares about, you know, making, you know, taking the sport to the next level or, or doing what's best for, he's, he's not, he's a capitalist. He's not, a, he's not yeah. a socialist. So he's, it goes back to what you said before about, you know, how much money does he have from all those fights? I mean, it's right. just, there's no, there, there's no, there's no vested interest for him to roll up his sleeves. If he wants it, that'd be great. I mean, but I, I can't, I mean, if I were in his situation, I, I'm not sure if I had his money and I had, you know, my time to myself, I'm not sure I'd want to spend it on that kind of reclamation project. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, most of these guys, most of these guys where they come from, if you wind up on the other side in, in Mayweather's shoes, my God, you just like, that's, that's, I mean, that's the, the lottery ticket to end all lottery tickets. Like you probably never thought you'd actually be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Why, (laughs) why would you risk it all? to try to fix a broken sport, but, yeah. um, you know, ho- hopefully there's somewhere, someone along the way, whether it's a fighter, whether it's somebody, it's, it's going to have to be a really magnetic charismatic figure who, who, who either knows what they're doing or surrounds himself with the right people who, who can really just get everybody's shit together and, and rally everybody for a, a singular cause because it's it just everything is too fragmented right now and mm. there just aren't enough there's not enough incentive for all those people to come together you know and and say hey let's do this yeah no it's i don't know i i i am i feel like every five years or maybe even every maybe every so often there's a story about you know can boxing be saved what can be done with boxing and you know even yeah, I think even there's I, I think yeah. there's like a calendar they they keep. Yeah. Every <laughs> but I, if I if I could go if I could if I could not read another one of those stories or have to <laughs> come across that in my Twitter feed, right. I'd be very happy to not have to deal with that um, on a on a semi annual basis. Right. It, it's yeah. I mean that even just for that, I, I'd be I'd be um, I I I'd, I'd be grateful. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, Pete, I, I'm, I had a, this is great. This turned out, you know, far better than I, I could have hoped. I mean, oh, I was so looking forward to, I was looking forward to talking to you either way, but it was, uh, we, we squeezed in some boxing on top of some NBA. So we, we, we kind of, we kind of touched on it all. Um, and I'm, I appreciate all the time you give me. Um, is there anything else that you want to plug or anything you need to mention? Um, oh, sure. um yeah, happy to. Um, yes, you can, uh, the book is from Hang Time to Primetime. Uh, Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day MBA comes out December 1st. It's available for pre-order everywhere. Uh, so, you know, uh, Amazon, bookshop.org, all the uh, usual suspects. Uh, I will be uh, doing some Zoom uh, present, some Zoom speeches or Zoom interviews. I guess that's what you call it now. 
uh, on the book. Uh, one is going to be uh, December the 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at Odyssey Bookstore in Ithaca, New York. It's a Zoom, uh, it's a Zoom gathering. It's open to everybody. I'll be, uh, be hosted by Russ uh, Bengtson, uh, the great basketball writer and sneakerhead. I'm really excited about that. And then uh, a week later, uh, on the 8th, I will be uh, doing an interview with uh, Alan Siegel of The Ringer uh, at the Tompkins County Public Library. That's from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m., sort of a businessman special, as they used to say in baseball. <laughs> so we'll be talking about uh, the book and about uh, publishing nonfiction. Uh, Alan's a great writer, has written some wonderful freelance stuff, and he's now a staff writer at The Ringer, so that should be fun. And uh, yeah, if anyone wants uh, a signed uh, book plate, they can hit me up on Twitter at Pete Croato, P-E-T-C-R-O-A, two T's as in Thomas O. And uh, yeah, we're also having a, um, a David Stern figurine giveaway with pre-orders. And you can find that on my Twitter feed. Uh, pretty easy to find. But to pre-order I the book. I love that, by the way. With yeah. The, yeah. That, tell, real quickly, what, what's, the, what's, the story, what's the story behind that? Uh, well, I was, I was looking for ways to get people to, to pre-order the book um, beyond my uh, dazzling wordplay. And since, um, you know, I have a family that I need to feed, I thought, okay, I should do something a little bit, uh, a little bit better than the book. So my brother, uh, Dave, is a, it does, uh, makes, is a, does toy making sort of as a hobby. Um, and he's, you know, he's, he's done that for a, a few places. So I, I asked Dave if he would make me a starting lineup tribute to David Stern. Um, if you remember, starting a lot of figures, they were these posed um, little figurines that were that were uh, that were uh, modeled after baseball players, NBA stars. So Dave very brilliantly uh, did a, a David Stern starting lineup figure, which and includes packaging, a little card, um, and a great picture of David Stern dunking. Uh, uh, that's the figurine, David Stern dunking a basketball. So so cool. Yeah, it's re it's better than I deserve. Um, <laughs> so I'm very happy. Uh, I'm I'm thrilled. Dave was able to to do everything. It's gorgeous. And uh, yeah, if you pre-order the book and send me and send me a screenshot of the receipt, um, you're entered into a raffle to uh, to take David Stern home and put him on your bookshelf or desktop or uh, you know wherever you want people to uh, um, examine my my brother's. Uh, uh, dazzling uh, artistry. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's a really, it's a really cool piece, and I'm I'm thrilled to uh, thrilled to can give some away. Or give, oh, give give one away. Excuse me. Yeah. Well, Pete, I really appreciate all your time, uh, and and it was a great conversation. Hopefully, everybody else appreciates it too. I know we, like I said, we nerded out for a little while, but um, <laughs> we got some good stuff. Uh, good some some really good stuff out of it too. Well, I hope so. If I, if if any if any viewer if any pardon me if any listeners um abandon uh, you, it's 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 directly because of me, not because of you. This was a lot of fun, Jason. Thank you. All right, all right, all right. That was great. I want to say thanks again to Pete Croato, writer and author of From Hang Time to Prime Time: Business, Entertainment, and the Birth of the Modern Day NBA, who was incredibly generous with his time. Uh, we, we really got a chance to delve into some interesting stuff. Um, and I enjoyed it tremendously. So, uh, thanks again, Pete. Um, uh, be sure to follow Pete on Twitter at, at Pete Croato, P-E-T-E-C-R-O-A-T-T-O and go out and pick up his book. Uh, I'll leave a direct link in the show notes. Uh, it'll make it a little bit easier on you. Um, and don't forget about us. Subscribe to 
subscribe to Ringtones. What about us? Subscribe from your favorite podcast platform. Rate, review, tell the world about the Ringtones Global Takeover. We are we are benevolent overlords and only ask that you follow us on Twitter and Facebook at, at RingtonesPod. And keep an ear out for new episodes, anything coming up. Everybody, be cool out there. Stay safe. And as always, thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you.